Yes. Yeah. All right. Diana has been enjoying this. this is good. Thank you, Diana. That's encouraging. <laughs> I've been enjoying preaching it, so I guess you know. It's I guess that's all that counts. But um, the whole theme of the book of Hebrews is really the betterness of Jesus. The whole theme of Hebrews is that Jesus is better because the book of Hebrews was written about 70 A.D. It was written to a group of Christians who were Hebrews. That's why it's called Hebrews. Um, they were former Jews that had come out of Judaism, and they had put their faith in Jesus. And so uh, who exactly authored the book of Hebrews is kind of under um, a lot of discrepancy and argumentation. Personally, I kind of feel like it was Paul, um, but you know, so, there's no real way to know. The, the author does not state who he is. We do know that it's the Holy Spirit. We know that it's God that was the author of Hebrews, and so we believe that it's inspired by God. Which means that it was applicable, you know, 2,000 years ago, but it's also applicable today. Now, in order to understand how it applies to us, we really have to look at the original context, and that's what we've been doing. We've been looking at the fact that this was written to Jews who had come out of Judaism, and really it's a book trying to, um, and really just brilliantly explaining the betterness of Jesus. Um, these Jews had turned away from Judaism and turned to Christ. And seeing Christ as the fulfillment of all of their feast days, of all of their sacrifices, of all of their priesthood, and, 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 and really their entire history as a people and as a religion culminated with Jesus Christ. It was all pointing toward him. And so these guys had, had, had walked away from Judaism. They had embraced Jesus. Um, but it didn't take very long before uh, they received a little bit of, um, I don't know, persecution, I suppose. Uh, their, their Jewish friends were mocking them and saying, man, you've really missed the boat, right? right? You've, you've, you've left, you know, thousands of years of, 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 of history, of biblical history. You've left the, 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 the law of Moses. You've left the Ten Commandments. You've left all of that for Jesus. And so they began wavering in their faith. They said, well, I don't know. They were beginning to think maybe we should go back. Maybe we should go back to Judaism. And this letter is written to them to assure them Frequently, the, 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 the sentence or the statement is the holding fast the confidence of our confession. Constantly, the writer of Hebrews is saying, look, don't let go of Jesus. Jesus is better. And so the writer of Hebrews starts in chapter 1 and chapter 2. He's really talking about Jesus is better than angels. And for, for those of you that missed that, that's online. It's, uh, we have a podcast, so you can listen to that online if you go to our website, um, citychapelchurch.com. Um, you can listen to that about how, why Jesus is better than angels. Uh, the next week we talked about how Jesus is better than Moses. And that's chapter 3 and, and really chapter 4. Moses and Joshua, actually. Uh, and Moses, man, nobody, nobody is better than Moses in the, in the Jewish system. And even in several religions around the world, Moses is a highly revered character. But Jesus is better. So we talked about last week how Moses was a pointer. right? Moses pointed to the manna. Jesus said, I am the manna. And so Jesus is not the distributor of the product you need. Jesus is the product you need. And we often come to Jesus. I don't want to re-preach last week's message, but some of you weren't here, so there you go. Uh, uh, Jesus, we, we, we often come to Jesus 
in order to get what we think we need. So we think Jesus is going to get us a better job because what we think we need is not Jesus but a better job. Or we think Jesus is going to fix our family because what we think we need is a is a family that's really happy and, and that'll make us happy. And so we we look we don't change what we think we need. We keep that and we just come to Jesus, believe Jesus is the distributor of that. And Jesus is not the distributor. Jesus is not uh, going to fix your entire life the way that you want it to be fixed. Jesus is what you need. And the shift that happens is when we change our mindset from looking and desiring these other things to simply being satisfied with Jesus. He's sufficient. He's enough. So anyway, obviously, I really like Hebrews. I love preaching about Jesus. So if you'd like to listen to that message, that's also on the podcast. But today we're going to jump into chapter 5, and I'm actually going to start a little bit behind chapter 5. Um, the latter part of chapter 4 is where the writer of Hebrews begins um, what I would say is the climactic moment of this entire book. Um, the reason why I believe that Paul wrote this for several reasons is that um, the, the style of this book is such that, that chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4, they're all building to something. They're all culminating. They're moving toward a central theme. And then we're going to see in chapter 5, 6, 7, and kind of 8, that is the theme. You're going to get to the, the heart of it. The center of the book is right there. That's, that's, that's it. That's the peak of the mountain. But then on the other side of the mountain, the chapter 9, 10, 11, 12, and 13, you, you kind of ask the question, well, now what? So if this is true, if this is the central theme, now what comes after that? And how then should we live? And those kinds of questions. And so um, we're getting toward the guts, the meat of what the writer is saying, and we're going to we're going to see that right here. So in, in chapter 4, verse 14, if you don't have a Bible, we have a giant Bible up here on the screen. Um, also, this is a good reminder, uh, if you have cell phones, um, if you can silence them, that'd be awesome. Um, my, my iPad just dinged because somebody texted me while I'm preaching. So it's amazing. People try calling me and stuff on Sunday between 10 and 11. <laughs> I'm a pastor, people. <laughs> not going to answer. I'm sorry. Uh, anyway, um, chapter 4, verse 14 says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest, that's Jesus, who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore, this is one of my favorite verses in the Bible, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace. I love that. Let us come boldly. The whole pretense is that when you're looking at Jesus, you can get some boldness in prayer. Some boldness to come before the throne of grace. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to hell in time of need. Moving on to chapter 5. For every High priest taken from among men is appointed by men in things pertaining to God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can have compassion on those who are ignorant and going astray, since he himself is also subject to weakness. Because of this, he is required, as for the people, so also for himself, to offer sacrifices for sins. And no man takes his honor to himself, but he who is called by God, just as Aaron was, so also, he's making a comparison here, so also Jesus Christ did not glorify himself to become high priest, but it was said of him, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Also he who said that, said it in another place, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek, who in the days of his flesh, that's Jesus, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard, by the way, because of his godly fear, though he was a son, 
Yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. Man, we could just preach on that verse right there, verse 8. Uh, verse 9, though, moving on. And having been perfected, he became the author or the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, called by God as high priest according to the order of Melchizedek, of whom we have much to say. Talking about Melchizedek, and we're going to get into Melchizedek next week. Of whom we have much to say, but it's hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. For by now, this time, you ought to be teachers, but you still need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. Um, ladies, in this context, that's not a good thing. <laughs> had to say it just couldn't resist but solid food belongs to those who are of full age that is those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil lord we thank you for your word and thank you how it's still alive and well and still speaking to us today i pray that as we open up your word that we would see jesus christ and that we would come to know him um, even better god help help us to rely on jesus Help us to see the betterness of Jesus. Thank you for your grace and for your mercy, Lord, for saving us and for bringing us to this place. Thank you for um, saving Michigan State yesterday, too. In your name we pray, amen. <laughs> this passage that, that, that we're reading is really, as I said, it's the beginning of the center of this entire book. And, and it's kind of interesting because the, 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 what I believe is the high point, the peak of the book of Hebrews, is this idea that Jesus is a better priest. So we see right away in, in, in chapter 4, seeing then that we have a great high, high priest who has passed through the heavens. So we have a great high priest, and how, how far, how high is our high priest? Well, he is through the heavens. There's nobody greater, nobody better than Jesus. Um, uh, in the in the Catholic Church, the, the Pope, uh, one of his titles since since the inception of the office um, by Constantine, way back, uh, has been uh, that he is the the Pontifex Maximus. I think I said that right. That's a, that's yeah, Latin for um, highest priest. That's, that's that's what that means. Uh, and, and and obviously, you know, he's talking about you know his sort of priest. He has he has priests below him, and that he's the highest priest, and and that is true, I guess, in his context. But as far as the highest priest altogether, the highest priest is Jesus. Nobody's higher than Jesus. You can sit in the highest chair in Rome, but you're still not even to the heavens, let alone through the heavens. There's nobody better than Jesus. There's there's no replacement for him. There's no there's I mean he is through the heavens, which means he's not voted on by a bunch of cardinals. He nobody voted him in and nobody can vote him out. His priesthood is eternal because it didn't start somewhere. It's not gonna stop somewhere. He's not he's not reliant on politics. He doesn't have to have interviews with with with, with newspapers and, 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 and news media outlets in order to get people to like him. He doesn't have to have to adjust his policy. He is higher than the heavens. Which means he's not touched by the things that, that touch us down here. He's greater. There's nobody better than Jesus. And we talked about that in the first week, obviously. He's, he's, just, he's just the best. He's the best of the best and better than all the rest. Come on, somebody. He's, 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 he's the greatest high priest. He's just, he's so great. That's what he says. Seeing that we have so great a high 
priest, that he is that he that he is so high up there. And then the writer of Hebrews, if we can pull that up, uh, the chapter four, and just just look at that passage. The writer of Hebrews, he says this. He says that we have this high priest. He's higher than the heavens. Verse fifteen, though, he he moves he moves downward, and so he's talking about the heavens and how high and great Jesus is. But then he quickly says. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but it was in all ways tempted as we are. As if to say, look, I don't want you to get the idea that Jesus is so high up there and so untouchable that he doesn't remember what it's like to be down here. Because that is really, uh, and we're going to see that in chapter uh, 6 and 7, that is one of the benefits of an earthly priest, that an earthly priest is going to feel sorry for you because he knows what it feels like to be human. And this is what the writer of Hebrews says. Look, Jesus still knows what it feels like to be human. And he sympathizes. That, that word sympathize means to feel. He feels what you feel. He has felt what you're feeling. He knows literally what you're going through because he was tempted in all ways, just as we are, yet without sin. Now, how in the world was Jesus tempted in every single way? Well, there's a, there's a number of ways that we can talk about why his temptations were always greater than ours. Number one... Many times our temptations are based on ability. So um, if you think you can get away with it, well, you're much more tempted to do it, right? Yeah. Uh, many times people don't do things that they would do if they thought they could get away with it. They just don't think they can get away with it, and so they're not that tempted to do it. Well, Jesus is all-powerful, so he could literally get away with anything. That's right. So when he walked the earth, he knew exactly what he could get away with, and that was anything. So he was tempted much greater than you and I ever are. Also, temptation is really linked to knowledge. So what you know or what you can imagine, that really is the limitation of your temptation. You're not tempted by stuff you've never heard of. <laughs> You're not tempted by stuff you've never seen or thought about. That's not a temptation. But Jesus is all-knowing, so he knows every aspect of human nature. And so he was tempted literally in every way. There's no temptation that you've faced that you can say, I don't think Jesus felt that. Oh, he felt it, and he felt it much stronger than you've right. ever felt it. He felt it much greater, much more real than you felt it, because you're still wondering if you can get away with it. He already knew. He's all-powerful, so his temptation is, is absolute. Go ahead and keep the passage up there. He's, he's passed through the heavens, but he can still remember what it's like to be down here. He was without sin, though, and so the, the, the result of that, that is that the writer is saying we've got to come boldly before the throne of grace that we may obtain, what is this, mercy and grace. Mercy is, is where God forgives you of, of your past, and he wipes away what has happened. And so you, the mercy is that you don't get what you deserve, which is judgment. And, and that's what we find when we come before the throne of grace. We are going to find mercy. No matter what you've done or how many times you've done it, there's always mercy for you at yeah. the throne of grace. And it's not just mercy, though. By the way, it's not the throne of judgment. It's the throne of grace. Uh, just throw that in. It's not just mercy that he has for us. He also has grace. Now, what is grace? Grace is power. So mercy takes care of your stuff in your past. Grace gives you the power to make different choices, to yeah. make a new life, to live differently, for your future to be better than your past. And what, what Paul says in another place is that God's grace is sufficient for you. And so it's, it's, it's enough. His power is enough for you. No matter, even, no matter how addicted you are, God's grace can help you move forward in a different tomorrow than you were yesterday. That is the grace of God. And that's the kind of grace that's being offered to us. Moving along to chapter 5, he says now, uh, uh, talking about his, his priesthood, he says, now every high priest taken from among men is appointed by men and things pertaining to God. That means that he's selected. 
You know, the high priests are selected by people. Uh, and because it's not something you can just stand up and say, I want to be a high priest. It's not, you, don't, you don't choose it. You are chosen. And he, he, he compares that to Jesus, the fact that Jesus himself um, was also uh, chosen. And we see that in, in Scripture and, and in those prophecies. In verse 7, though, it says that in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears. That's talking about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Yeah. And he's getting ready to be crucified. He's going through the most excruciating pain that he ever had. And his heart literally ruptures at that point. He's sweating blood uh, because he's bearing the weight of the sins of the world. Yeah. And your sins and my sins. And he's, and he's, and he's suffering. And look, and, and look what verse 8 says. Verse 8 doesn't say, hey, and then God tried to rescue him from that. No, no, no. It says that though he was a son, even though he was the highest of high, the greatest of the greatest, yet he learned obedience through the things he suffered. Wouldn't it be amazing if we could look at suffering not as an enemy to be avoided, but as a teacher to learn from? That's what Jesus did. Jesus went into the suffering. He didn't ask to get away from the suffering, to avoid suffering. Lord, I don't want suffering. He, he, he accepted the suffering that was coming his way, and he used it as a teacher in his life. He learned, he learned, uh, this says obedience, really. I mean, that, that, that same word could almost be the trust. He learned to trust his father. What did he say? He said, not my will, but your will be done. He's teaching us how we can go through suffering. When you're going through suffering, this is what you need to say. Not my will, but your will be done. Yeah. Not my will, but your... And it takes a while. It takes a little bit of practice. But let me tell you, that is, that is the best way to walk through suffering and to learn what God has for you to learn. Having been perfected, Jesus having been perfected. Now, he wasn't imperfect before. Perfected means complete. Like the, he finished the circle. He, he hung on the cross and he said, it is finished. Or he could have said, it is perfect. He perfected, having been perfected, he finished his work. He became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. Called by God as a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. And this is where uh, the author of Hebrews takes a turn and he almost pauses. Like It's kind of interesting to me that the Holy Spirit is, is communicating about the most important thing. That, that he's wanting the people to know Jesus is the replacement of the priestly system. Jesus is a new and better priesthood. And he's digging into that. He's coming to the center of that. And then he interrupts himself and he stops because he mentions somebody named Melchizedek, which we'll talk about next week. But he mentions him and then he stops and he says, wait a minute, I have a lot more to tell you. I don't just want to quote Old Testament passages. I have a lot more to reveal to you, but there's a problem. That by this time, you should be teachers, but now people are having to teach you again the first principles. He said, you have become dull of hearing. And I was kind of going to skip over this passage today because I thought, well, this is just kind of an interruption. This is a side note. This is a cliff note. Right? We're talking about the priesthood. Let's get back to the priesthood. But what's interesting is the Holy Spirit interrupts the most important message in the entire book for this little cliff note. So it must be kind of important. He, he stops to rebuke them. And he says, you've become dull of hearing. Now, personally, uh, you know, this is not really my style when I'm preaching or encouraging people. I don't just stop to tell them how bad they are or how <laughs> immature they are. Or, you know, you've become dull of hearing. I can't continue. You need to <laughs> fix yourself so that you can hear what I'm going to tell you. I, that's usually not my 
It's usually not my method, but then again, I'm not God, so my method probably isn't as good as his. Um, especially here in Texas, this would not be okay. By the way, don't try this in conversation with people. Um, you know, get halfway through and be like, yeah, you can't take the rest. You just, you can't really. You're not even ready. Sorry. Not even there. Um, actually, Texans are kind of the opposite. I'm from Michigan, so I've had to learn the Texan way, um, so to speak. In fact, I feel like I'm getting better. Like, just yesterday, with all this rain, I started telling people to be safe out there on the road. I never said that when I lived in Michigan. It's raining. Be safe. Now, if now if, there's, if it's a blizzard and there's like, we're getting 12 inches tonight, then yeah, you would say be safe, but it's drizzling outside. Be safe. So I've had to figure that out, you know, as a, as a new Texan. I'm learning that when there's precipitation, really when it's just cloudy, like, you know, be safe, it's cloudy, you never know. <laughs> Might rain, uh, slightly windy, it's a little bit too sunny, be safe. You know what I mean, just, that's, just, that's just how, it's southern hospitality or something, I guess, just being more nice than you need to be. Um, when you're in Michigan, it's just like, no, no, you're like, you can handle it, it's rain, just deal with it, you know, suck it up, put your big boy pants on and go drive, you know, that's what we do. Um, so I've kind of learned that you don't do this, but it's funny to me, the Holy Spirit just stops everything, just, just hold the phone, stop everything. You guys, like, there's a problem. It's a problem. You've become dull of hearing, so it's hard now to explain what this whole Jesus better priest thing is all about. He stops, and he says, you become dull of hearing. Now, when I hear the, the phrase dull of hearing, you know, um, personally, I think that means, like, you're not so sharp anymore. You know, like you're not the sharpest tool in the shed. Um, and sometimes I think you can become dull if you, if, if, you know, like a tool can become dull if it's not used. And so that's, that's, that's how I naturally have always interpreted this passage, that, 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 that God is saying, look, you've become dull of hearing. In, in other words, you haven't been obeying me. Like I've been telling you stuff and you haven't been doing it. And so you're just getting used to just hearing stuff. And so I don't just want to tell you stuff. I want you to do stuff. And there is some application of that. I mean, um, faith comes by hearing, hearing, hearing from the word of God, but faith without works is dead. So there is a sense in which, you know, yeah, we do need to listen and obey. But when I was looking this week at this passage in the original language, it just blew my mind. And this is what really, really messed me up. The word dull actually doesn't mean not so sharp. It actually comes from the root word um, that... Uh, that <laughs> That is a cuss word nowadays. Um, the King James Version used to say. I'm trying to think of a better word. Uh, it means the illegitimate child. That's what it means. It means the son specifically, son or daughter, but a child of a slave woman. It comes from that term. And so it's kind of interesting. Really what he's saying here, he's not saying you become dull of hearing. He says that you're, you, have, you, have, you have become, you've started to hear with the ears of a slave person or a, a, a son or a daughter of a slave. You're, you're not listening with the right ears. It's hard for me to explain how great Jesus is. It's hard for me to tell you how much he's done for you on the cross and how much he's offering you in this salvation because the way that you're hearing me, you're not listening through the ears of somebody who can comprehend what I'm saying. You're listening through the ears of a son of a slave woman. Now, ancient slavery was different than modern, or what we think of today as slavery, like 1850 slavery. It was different. 
Uh, slavery in the ancient world was, was it was it was it was it was a job. I mean, it was it was like being a maid that you would sell yourself or you would be employed um, several times. It was not nearly as abusive as a lot of people think of today. Um, I, obviously, there were some some bad parts to it, but mo mostly it was it was a job that you would say, "All right, this is my pay. This is what I'm going to get." This is, and they even got to live in the house. They didn't live in some shed in the back. Like they they they're a part of the family, but obviously they were just there for the money. They were just working. And so the writer of Hebrews says, look, the, the problem is you are hearing through the ears of a slave and you're stuck on the basic principles. Principles means elements or elementary things or, or literally ABCs, the ABCs of Christianity. You're stuck on the ABCs. I can't go any deeper. I can't go any higher. I can't, I can't really tell you how awesome Jesus is because you're not going to understand what I'm saying because you're thinking like a child. You're thinking like an ABCs. You're thinking like, not like a son, but like a slave. You don't think you belong in this house. You don't think you're part of this family. You've, you've already stepped back away from faith in Jesus, and you're beginning to think, you begin to hear everything I say, even the gospel, you're hearing it through the ears of somebody who was born under slavery. And so I want to I want to look at a, at a passage in Galatians chapter four, and this is where we're going to end in Galatians four, because I feel like Galatians four helps interpret the last few verses um, of Hebrews chapter five. And so I want to read Galatians four verse one for you. It says, "Now I say that a, that the heir, this is a son, as long as he's a child, doesn't differ at all from a slave, though he is, you know, in some respect, he is master of all." But when he's a kid, when he's a child, he's under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the Father. Even so, we, when we were children, when we were in Judaism, when we were thinking like children of slaves in bondage, under the elements of the world, that's almost the same word, the principles, the, the elementary, the ABCs, the one, two, three, the, the, the basic childish things about God, when we were enslaved to them, that was us. And then the fullness of time came, and God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, in order to redeem those who are under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. In other words, that we might not be slaves, but be sons. And there's a big difference between working for God and living with God. It's a big difference. This is what he says. He says, and because... You are sons. God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore, you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. I made a slide just to show some of the, some of the mentalities as I see it. First of all, a slave uh, has a mentality. He's always wondering if he belongs in the house or if he should be in the house. A son is always confident of his place in the family. A son... A son has a place in the family, that's relationship, that's blood. A slave or a servant has relationship with the house. He lives in the house, but he's not a part of the family. So on Christmas morning, they open up the gifts, the slave doesn't get a gift. Uh, they don't celebrate slave birthdays, they don't remember anniversaries for the... No, it's not relational, it's contractual. So I have a contract, I'm here... And that's, that's really that's what, what, you're, what they're looking for. The slave is always looking for a reward. It's always looking for his paycheck. He's looking for the reward. And whereas the son is looking for relationship. Son is looking for connection. 
The slave believes he has, to, he has to earn his value. His son receives value through affirmation of the father. That's, that's how that works. The slave is temporary. He might get fired. He might move on to another job. The son is permanent. You're, once you're a son, you're always, you're always a part of that family. For a slave, freedom is time off. It's vacation. But for a son, freedom is seen as the ability to choose to stay. This is this this and 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 and, and honestly, I feel like many of us like we live like over here like like we live we come to Jesus, but we're still thinking like a slave. We're still thinking like, where's my reward, right? Where's my pat on the back? Somebody's got to tell me I'm doing a good job, or I don't really know my value. Somebody's got to some you know somebody's got to encourage me, you know. Some somebody got to come over to my house. Somebody's got to visit me here and there. Otherwise, I don't know my value. It's not I don't I, I haven't got my value from my father. I'm looking to earn it by what I do. And so maybe if I serve, maybe if I do things, maybe if I. Maybe if I listen to the right music, maybe if I don't watch the wrong movies, <laughs> come on somebody, maybe if the skirt's not too short or the blouse isn't too low cut, okay. <laughs> I just thought of something and I don't know if I should share it or not. Um, I'll just, you can, somebody said they can handle it, okay, cool. Um, uh, we do name tags at our church. I don't know if you noticed that. We do name tags. My name's Harry. We like name tags. Name tags are great because I'm awful with names. I don't remember names. Um, and so they help me, especially with all the new people. We have so many new people all the time coming to church. And I'm like, yes, okay, what is your name? Well, it's very helpful, um, ladies. If you put it kind of like in the shoulder slash chest area, this is helpful to me as your pastor because it's it's just a little awkward when I'm like, hey, Christina, it's so good to meet you. It's just, you know, I'm really looking at your name tag, honest, I swear to God. It's just, you know, you have a little high shoulder level. <laughs> I just thought of that. I just thought of it. And some of you, all right, all right, some of you probably think that's kind of immature of me to, to mention that, and um, you're going to be offended and never come back. And, um, you know, I, this is what I would say to them, is that for too long we have measured maturity, but we've measured it wrongly. We've measured it like a slave. We've measured it on stuff like that. On stuff just like that. You shouldn't say that in church. You shouldn't, shouldn't talk about, you know, low-cut shirts in church. That's maturity. You shouldn't listen. It's not, it's not written in the Bible. It's not like the Bible says don't say that. But, you know, but if you really are spiritual, you'll just get it. Amen. You know, you'll just figure it out. You'll learn it. You'll be sad. That's maturity. That's, that's oh, they're, they're so mature. And, and it's almost like we take maturity and we take eating meat and we take, um, you know, being a son, we take all of that and we, 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 we move it away from anything that has anything to do with Jesus. And we move it into how spiritual do people think you are. When people see you, what are they going to think? What are they going to think about that? That's maturity. When you can live in such a way that nobody ever thinks you're not spiritual. That's, that's when you are finally, ultimately mature. And what's crazy is Jesus was crucified because the spiritual people, supposedly, didn't think he was spiritual enough. Come on. Because 
maturity does not is not based on what the music you listen to or the movies right. that you Preach. watch. Yeah. It's not based on, you know, is that a cuss word? Is that not a cuss word? Should I get piercings or tattoos? That's not spiritual maturity. Come on. Spiritual maturity is when you are a son and when you hear the gospel like a son hears the gospel. And when and when and when that way so when God good. tells you, when God speaks to you and he says, I don't want you having tattoos, you don't suddenly say, Oh, well, then nobody should ever have tattoos. It's this personal thing that God's talking to you. My dad just told me he didn't like this in me, so I'm going to stop that. Right. Like that's what you do. That's being a son. The slave says, "No way. This is the rules. Like, oh, you guys are. All right, I just figured out a new rule. God just told me you guys are all in real trouble. You're not going to get your reward if you do this or if you think like that. Or do no, you got to start thinking like a son. You got to hear the gospel like a son." This is what the passage says, and I know I'm running out of time, but I want to read the rest of Galatians because he 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 really wraps it up beautifully. Um, toward the end of Galatians in verse 21, uh, Galatians chapter 4, verse 21, he says, Tell me you who desire to be under the law. <laughs> Tell me you who want to think like slaves. You know, the, you know, do you not hear what the law says? And he quotes the Old Testament. He goes back to Genesis chapter, uh, I think it's Je Genesis chapter 21. Yeah, 21 verse 8 through 10. He's talking about a story in the Old Testament. This is what he says. For it is written that Abraham had two sons. One son was by a bondwoman or a slave woman, and the other was from a free woman. But he who was of the bondwoman was born according to the flesh. And he who was of the free woman was born through promise. What he's talking about there is, is, is the story of Abraham and his wife Sarah. God had promised Sarah she would have a baby. And when Sarah didn't have a baby for like 4,000 years, they finally decided that they needed to get pregnant some other way. And so uh, her slave girl, Sarah's slave girl, uh, was offered to, to, to Abraham, and it sounds kind of weird and whatever, but it's the way they did things back then, in order that they could have an heir. And so she gets pregnant. She has a baby named Ishmael. And then God comes like 12 years later, comes to Abraham and says, all right, now I told you Sarah was going to bear a son, and so this time next year she's going to have a son. And Abraham says, wait a minute, I already got a son. His name's Ishmael. God's like, yeah, that was you. <laughs> that was you. I didn't tell you to do that. I said it's coming through Sarah. It's going to come through Sarah. She's like, you know, she's she's as old as a dinosaur, but she's going to have a baby. <laughs> and, and Abraham was as old as a dinosaur too, all right? They were both like just old, and it wasn't going to work, and uh, it doesn't make any sense, but she's going to have a baby. That's what's going to happen. So, you know, nine months later, baby comes out. Now you got a problem. You got Ishmael who's in the house. He's 13 years old. He's about to be given the title of the firstborn son. And now a legitimate child is born. And now you've got legitimate child and illegitimate child living in the same house. And it gets awkward. It gets awkward. And, and, that's, and I think that's our lives right there. Like we have this illegitimate child mindset about our role with God that I'm, you know, I, I have to make it work. Like Abraham, I got I, I to gotta figure something out here. There's something I can do that can make this better. There's, I, I, I can dot that I, I can cross that T, I can get the list, I can go down the list, I can do this. And God's like, oh, I don't understand. Not what you can do. It's what I've already done. Yeah. 
And I'm going to show you what I've already done. And I'm going to birth something new inside of you. And I think sometimes we live with both of these sons in our minds. And it gets awkward. And this is what happened in that, in that Old Testament story. Uh, the scripture here says that these two things are symbolic. For these are the two covenants. The one from Mount Sinai, the one that Moses got. This one gives birth to bondage, which is Hagar. Hagar is the mother of Ishmael. Hagar is the slave woman. For this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to Jerusalem, which now is. And is in bondage with her kids. He's talking about Judaism. He's talking about the old law, the old covenant. This is, this is bondage. This is an illegitimate mindset that they have. Verse 28 says, now we, brethren, uh, or no, he says, now, but, but Jerusalem above, which is, is free, this is the mother of us all. This is Sarah, who is the mother of Isaac. Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are children of promise. But as he who was born according to the flesh, then persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, even so it is now. What happened was, he's referring to a story in the Old Testament where Isaac was about to be weaned. So weaned means he's getting off milk. He's no longer breastfeeding. Um, they used to just cut it off back in the day. Nowadays, we kind of let it linger on and go on. But they used to have a certain set time, and boom, you're done drinking milk. You're going to start eating meat. It's kind of the way it went. And so they, they, have a, they had a party for the day that Isaac was done drinking milk. And in that party, in Genesis 21, in that party, I, uh, Isaac is just a little baby, and he's goo-goo and gaga and you know, and... And Ishmael is 13, kind of immature. Um, he's making fun of Isaac, right? He's mocking him. He's like, look at that kid. He's so stupid. Such a such ignorant little. There's no way that he's, that he's going to be the firstborn son of Abraham. There's no way he's going to be the father of many nations. There's no, he's just a little kid. Just a little baby. He's drooling all over himself, you know. And Ishmael is cracking up. Ishmael is mocking him. And what happens in that story, in verse 30, he talks about it. He says, nevertheless, what does the scripture say? It says, cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. That quote is from Sarah. Sarah is Isaac's mom. Sarah sees Ishmael mocking Isaac, and Sarah's ticked. And she's like, oh, no. We ain't going to have none of that. Not up in my house? You come up in my you come up in my house. <laughs> You're not gonna, so she says, cast out the bondwoman, uh, Hagar, and her son Ishmael. And that's what they do. Abraham drives them out of the house. And that's what's gotta happen for you and I. At some point, at some point, you gotta say, enough is enough. I can't think like a slave anymore. Because slave mindset will always mock sonship. Even today, people always mock those who they see as more free than they are. Even today, they always say, oh, it's just faith in Jesus, really? Is that, I mean, no, no, salvation's got to be faith in Jesus plus all this other stuff. I mean, you got to add all this other stuff. Otherwise, you're just, you're just drooling all over yourself and just being stupid. You're just, you're just, you're just beyond the, and, and, and they're always mocking. And I 
think the Holy Spirit just sometimes just gets fired up and is like, no, we gotta we gotta shut up that mindset. We gotta shut up that voice that says Jesus plus something else. It is trust in Jesus. And by the way, everything, everything that 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 we see as immaturity, everything that we see as as not as is not quite there yet, it can only be that way if it lines up with trust in Jesus. Because there is stuff that moves your faith. There is stuff that moves your trust in Jesus. There is things. There are things that, that, that you start trusting in more. And that's immaturity. That's what's wrong with the world today. That's what, that's what you need to get out of your life. Things that, that steal your trust, that steal your leaning. And, and, it's when it, and by the way, what you trust is not what you say you trust. What you trust is what you lean on. That's what. So you don't even have to tell me what you trust. You know, I don't, I don't need to hear. I trust in Jesus, and I'm leaning on my relationship with this guy. And I trust in Jesus, and I'm leaning on my job. And I trust. And no, no, no. It's not what you say you trust. It's what you lean on. It's what you find confidence in and rest in. It's what you think about at night when you wonder if everything's going to be okay. That's what you trust in. That's where your trust is. And a slave always trusts several things. Trusts his paycheck. Trusts. His, his work relationship with his boss, but but a son simply trusts his relationship with his father. You can have that. You can have that relationship. You can know, not just believe that you are saved. And you will find that maturity is as God brings multiple chances for you to suffer, multiple chances for you to walk away, multiple chances for you to not trust. Each time you trust in the face of that, that's called maturity. The question is not, if do I look more Christian today than yesterday? The question is, do I trust Jesus more today than yesterday? That's the question. So I want to offer just the initial start of that relationship for you today. And we're going to bow our heads and close our eyes and just take 30 seconds right here. And if you want to enter into this relationship, if you want to enter into this sonship, maybe even, maybe you've been going to church for a long time and you, you want to renew a real relationship with Jesus, not just a church relationship with Jesus. I'd like for you to raise your hand right now and I'm going to pray with you and pray for you. Awesome. Yes. Awesome. That's great. That's awesome. Man. Yeah. People standing even. Get real. Let's do it. 